Thank you, team. Take your Bible. Let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, as we begin preaching uh, during this Christmas season, a series that I've entitled The Men of Christmas. I posted that, and one of my dear friends, Leah Taylor, uh, sent me a post back. She said, Pastor, there's women of Christmas, too. I said, yeah, but they get all the press. Mary and her crowd at Christmas always get the press at Christmas. And I said, there's some men of Christmas that we're going to focus in on in preaching this year. And we begin with Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. We'll talk about some of the ladies along the way as well. But these men that are pillars in this Christmas narrative we'll be looking at. And we begin today in uh, Luke chapter 1. These will be good days leading up uh, to Christmas as we give. Next Sunday, we'll elect deacons. That's the 5th of December. Uh, You can mark your ballot beginning midnight on Saturday night to 2 o'clock in the afternoon next Sunday. And so you do that online at olivebaptist.org, and you can find that and uh, be a part of it, slash deacons, and uh, you be right there, or you can get a paper ballot here. Uh, also, next week, I'll have these new devotionals, and they're uh, great gifts that you can give for Christmas, and uh, we'll have those out in the foyer. If you want a signature in one of them, I can do that for you, and uh, we'll have those out there. They're already uh, available at the main office. And then, of course, children. Well, it's always great with children around the Christmas season. It's a fun time at your house and at God's house uh, with kids, and uh, they'll be a part uh, of what we're doing uh, on the 12th, so you get your tickets uh, for that. Uh, Kids, you know, they'll say anything to you. I was reminded of the pastor this week that preached on the sin of omission, and a mother asked a little boy, said, do you know what that is, the sin of omission? She said, oh, he said, yeah, I know what that, that's sins you should have done that you didn't do when you had the chance. I said, well, amen. So uh, that's not quite right. But uh, kids, eh, we love those children, and Christmas is a great time as we gather kids uh, around us. So you be a part of that. Now this morning, we're looking at Zacharias. We're in Luke's gospel. Now i got to give you some background uh, beginning in the first four verses where uh, Luke begins his gospel, and he writes to Theophilus, and he's telling them what he's going to do. And then he breaks right in, talking about in the days of Herod, who was the king of Judea, that there was a certain priest, his name was Zacharias. He was of the division of Abijah. There were thousands and thousands of priests, and they put them into varied divisions. And two weeks out of the year, each of those divisions would come, and they would be in charge at the temple. And on this certain time, uh, Zacharias, the favor of God, the lot fell to him to go in and present the incense, which was one of the highest honors any priest could have. He was married uh, to Elizabeth. Uh, They were both aged, probably senior adults, and they did not have children, but they were righteous people. Verse 6 says, they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. Elizabeth could not have children. They were barren. And it happened uh, to them that while he was appointed, it was his appointment to go in and burn the incense, as verse number 9 tells us. Uh, And what would happen is that uh, that priest would go in to be two priests that would go with him. They were his assistants on that day. They would go in and help prepare, and then they would slowly back out and leave that one priest there for that moment all alone. 
as he presented that sacrifice that would go up in the incense and he would smell it as he came out and the people would wait uh, for that priest then to come out. And he's standing uh, there next to the altar and the Bible says in verse 11 that an angel, it was Gabriel himself, appeared unto Zacharias. Now the people were getting antsy because he wasn't supposed to be in there all that long. But he delayed. He had a confrontation with an angel. They were waiting for him to come out. I mean, I can see them looking, saying, what is he doing? Is he ever going to come out? Because they couldn't leave until he gave the benediction. They had a great prayer gathering. And so he's waiting there, and the angel, Gabriel, <laughs> speaks to him, and he tells him in verse 13, your prayer's been heard. You and Elizabeth are going to have a child. And he will come with joy and gladness. Many will rejoice. He had a prophecy about who this boy was going to be in verses 16, 17, 18, that he was going to be the forerunner of the Lord. And then in verse 18, Zacharias said, how can I know this for certain? Because I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years as well. The Bible says in verse 20, Behold, you shall be silent. Zacharias, you're not going to be able to talk. You will not speak until the day when these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. He was stricken without a voice. Nine months. We'll find that he can't say a word. Now that's a problem. Because the priest has got to give the benediction. And so in a few moments, he walks out. He can't get away from it. And he's standing there, and he's... He's got nothing. Now, you, you know those words that he's supposed to say. Out of number six... The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That's what he was supposed to say. But he didn't say anything. Because he couldn't speak. And the people said, oh my goodness, he's, he's had a vision. And he went away. He had to be embarrassed. He went away home. And there he was. Silent. Verse 23 tells us the days of his priesthood service were ended and he went back home. Later we find that Elizabeth is pregnant. And then, of course, Mary comes on, on the scene and uh, Mary then goes to see Elizabeth and John the Baptist is in her womb and he leaps. <laughs> and we find that God is at work. But you find two things about Zacharias. He cannot speak because of his unbelief. And then we're going to find that he believes. Everyone in this room sits in one of two chairs. You sit either in the chair of unbelief or of belief. You sit in the chair with no faith or doubting faith or little faith. 
or full faith. Which chair do you occupy? Which one? Which chair is yours? Faith, no faith. Belief, unbelief. Everyone sits in one. Zacharias sat in. He's a priest. He's been a faithful man. He's an old man, but all of a sudden he doubts and he does not believe. And the angel says, because of your unbelief, not a word. You'll not speak a word. And he goes away for nine months. He can't say anything. Now, I don't know if that'd be any trouble at your house. That'd be trouble at my house. <laughs> now, I mean, I don't talk a lot. I mean, I talk for a living, but I don't talk at the house a lot. Okay, I'm, I, I do words for a living, so I get home, I'm out of words. But, you know, after about a month, my wife would be wondering, is he ever going to talk? <laughs> and so he's nine months, and he's got to deal with somehow. God's dealing with him. Unbelief, belief. God deals with everyone in this room this morning. And you're either occupying a chair where you do not believe or you do believe. Everyone. Every pastor, every deacon, every teacher, every servant, every singer. You're either in unbelief or belief. It's those two things I want us to look at this morning. First of all, I, I want to show you what, what I call the cost of unbelief. The cost of unbelief. Look in the Bible. We begin reading in verse 57, and we read down through verse 64. Follow along as I read. This now is the Word of God. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father, Zach Jr. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet probably a hollowed out piece of wood with wax, and he has a stylus. He asked for a tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he began to speak praise of God. One moment, no voice, unbelief. The next moment, tongue loosed, walking again by faith. I want us to look at those two for a moment. First, the cost of unbelief. For the Christian, you say, preacher, I'm, I'm saved. I, I've trusted the Lord. I'm a part of the church. I've been baptized. This young one was today. Matter of fact, if you've never been baptized, you've been saved, you're ready to be baptized, do it. Do it now. If you want to come Christmas Eve, I'll baptize you on Christmas Eve, four or six o'clock. We'll have a great baptismal service as we begin those Easter, I mean, those Christmas Eve services as we come together uh, for that marvelous night on the 24th. 
join me. We'll baptize you. you but you, you can say, I've been baptized. But are you walking by faith? For the Christian, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. Don't, don't miss this. Look at what he said. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he comes to God, must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Dear friend, the, the cost for the Christian of unbelief is you miss your reward. God wants to bless you, to favor you. But when you doubt and when you run from God and when you don't believe God, the reward escapes you. The favor of God evaporates from you. For the Christian, the cost is the loss of God's blessing and his faith. Trust God today. But don't, don't walk through this world unbelief, doubting of small faith. Believe God with all your heart. For the non-Christian, hmm, listen to the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. As a matter of fact, I want everybody to read out loud. I want you to really say this out loud. You see it up on the screen right now. Here we go. Read it with me. Romans 1, 16 and verse 17. Read this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Hear me today. If you're not saved, be saved today. If you've never had faith, have faith today. For the gospel, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I preach it to you. There is but one way. There is but one road. Jesus is that way. Come to him. For by grace are you saved through faith. Come believing today. Oh, dear non-believing friend, lost friend, if you say no to Jesus, hell will be your home. Separation from God forever. Damnation. Separation. You'll never know him. You, you live in torment all of your life. Do not go to the cost of unbelief that leads to hell. The gospel, it's good news, but you must receive it. You must say yes to it. Faith is a gift of God to you. Receive that gift and believe in your heart. Don't walk in unbelief. Ah, uh, the Christian sometimes walks in unbelief. The non-believer, the lost man. But be very careful. The church can also find a cost of unbelief. Mm -hmm. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, But I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, Peter's confession that he was the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpowered. The gates of hell are not going to overpower the church. Listen to me, church. Jesus said he will build his church, but what he needs in his church are pastors and deacons and servants and lay leaders, members, everyone to walk by faith. For if we do not walk by faith, we will watch Olive die. It'll die. We can go through all of the religious stuff. We can sing the songs, preach the sermons, but if we don't do as God directs us by the Word of God and walk by faith, the church dies. It's the cost of unbelief. We must find what God says do. Oh, dear church, we dare not lose our voice. 
We can do all of this stuff and not have a voice in this community. We must walk by faith. We hear God speak, we stand on that and we walk back. You let the chips fall where they may because God is the master of the chips. Follow him. And as a church together, go. And let's believe God. Let's be a church filled with faith, not not the cost of, of no voice. God, give us a prophetic voice in this town, in this community around this world that God would use us as we enter into faith. Oh, we've walked by faith in days gone by and God's blessed it. We must once again walk by faith. We're doing it. Uh, but as God speaks, we must broaden the vision, the highway and go. Come the last Sunday of December. Come on that 26th day of December. And I'll, I'll give you that vision I believe God's placed in my heart and our leadership's heart that we'll talk about what God's going to do in 2022 in the body life of our church what we believe is set before us for us to be a part and if we by faith I believe will embrace that I believe a freshness of God will fall on this place by faith but if we just go through the motion a church can die though busy busyness is not faith we must Believe God and know what God's trying. There's a cost for unbelief. And Zacharias had it. He lost his voice. Oh, dear, lost friend, don't lose your soul. Come to him by faith. Dear Christian, don't walk in the flesh. Walk by faith. It says that you come by faith to faith. You see, that's a continual Faith to faith to faith to faith. You come by faith. You're saved. You walk by faith here and the next step of faith, the next step of faith. And it's just a faith walk all the way to glory. Faith. Don't, don't, don't pay the cost of faith and unbelief. But not only is there the cost of unbelief, there is in Zacharias' life the cry of belief. God opened him up. They asked him, what's your little boy's name? And he said, give me his Zach Jr.? No, no. Its name shall be called John. And they were astonished. And Zacharias Liz, Liz, Woo! Glory! He had been given a word by the angel of what the boy's name was to be. He finally took a step of it, and God gave him his voice back. And he began to prophesy. And that prophecy starts in verse 68 and runs through verse 79. And I want to show you three names he gave to Jesus out of that cry of belief. Notice it. In, in verses 68 through 75, we find him first. I'll just read a couple of the verses. He said in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn 
of salvation. Yeah, there it is, in the house of David. That speaks of being a powerful Savior. Jesus is the horn of salvation. The horn is the Old Testament metaphor for power. He can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. He can reach to the depths of the muck and the mire that you find yourself in and bring you up. But he can also reach to the heights of your self-righteousness and bring you down. He saves anybody, anywhere, anytime. He is the horn of salvation. For seven years, Liz and I lived in a little town in Texas called Henrietta. The third weekend in September, they always had a rodeo. My wife is quite an equestrian. She loved to ride horses when she was growing up. I was bucked off the first two I ever got on as a child. I hate horses. I'm not going to ride horses. Jesus is going to have to glue me to that white horse when we come back with him. It'll be a miracle saddle that he'll put me in. My wife always rode in the horse parade around the city square and then riding into the horse arena on Saturday night for the big rodeo. I never rode. I always volunteered to pray the invocation so I could be up in the press box. I said, well, I would ride, but you know, they need a pastor and I'll be there. And, uh, and then I'd watch that rodeo. It was fun. Oh, they'd tie a tag, a ribbon to that little calf's tail, and the kids would run after it. They'd have the bucking broncos. But then they'd turn loose these cows. And the guy'd ride his horse and jump off and grab him by the horns, turn him over and tie his legs together. And I told one of the guys sitting in the press box one night, I said, I would do that if it were not for those horns. Those horns trouble me. Uh, they said, Preacher, those horns should trouble you because if you don't know what you're doing, you would be in trouble. It's the power of that animal. I tell you, friend, I don't know who you are here today. I really don't care what kind of trouble you're in. Jesus can reach and save you because he's the powerful Savior. He is the horn of our salvation. It's power. He reaches, changes, even to the uttermost. Je Zechariah said he's the powerful Savior. But then in verse 76, he said he's the preeminent Savior. Notice it down in verse 76. And he begins to speak. He's prophesying, and he changes from talking about the Lord, and he begins to talk to his own son. He's looking down at the baby. John is just eight days old. They're there for the circumcision. And he said, and you, child, you, baby, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. You're going to be the prophet of the Most High. He is the preeminent God. Listen to me. There is no other name that can save. There is no other name given among men whereby you might be saved. There is not forgiveness and eternal salvation in any other name. There is no other way to heaven save the name of Jesus. He is the preeminent one, not only of the Most High God, of the only God, the only Savior. You say, preacher, that's awful narrow-minded. That's as narrow-minded as Jesus was. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, nobody goes to the Father, but that they come 
through me. That's narrow-minded as you can get. He's either an egomaniac that's a fool, or he is the very Son of God. His life proves him to be the Son of God. The preeminent Savior. Only Christ is qualified to forgive your sin. I can't forgive your sin. No priest can forgive your sin. No deacon can pray you through and get your... I'm telling you, friends, only one person that can forgive your sin. His name's Jesus, and he stands ready today if you had come to him. He is the preeminent Savior of the world, of the Most High God. He's a powerful Savior. He's a preeminent Savior. Oh, but he's a passionate Savior. I want you to look at it in verse 78. Zacharias turns back and says, Because of the tender mercy, the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I wish you could read what Spurgeon says about the tender mercy, the tender mercy of our God. And the sunrise, the sunrise from on high. I had them get out this old banner. We had a banner ministry. Well, we still do, but we don't use them very often anymore. Uh, But we've got a big closet full of these over there. Sometimes we'll bring them in. There's a big Jesus banner uh, that we have. All of them the names of our Lord. The sunrise from on high. Isaiah 9 says that there's a people who sit in darkness. Oh, but there's a light that is shone into that darkness. Friend, if you're lost today, you sit in darkness. But the, the sunrise from on high, Jesus is the passionate. So His tender mercy shines into your soul to save you. I was thinking about this verse, so I got up this morning, I was in my study, and I was waiting on it, and I decided I'd watch it, and boy, I went outside, and it's, I mean, it's black, dark, oh man, dark, and I thought, it'll be here in a minute, it's coming, looking over those trees to the east, here it came, and everything began to brighten, the sunrise from on high illuminated the globe once again that's what Jesus does when he saves you he comes like the day star he's like the day star that arises in your heart he finds you in your darkness when you can't even find your own way and he begins to shine and and here Zechariah said it's his tender mercy Mm. tender mercy This week on Thanksgiving, I took my children, my grandchildren, to see my mother. She's in memory care. And she came out and we made pictures. My mother is 90, and for most of her life, she has not been a woman of tender mercy. Now, Daddy was a man of tender mercy, but Mother was tough, tough.
huh? A rugged little woman. And she came out and the nurse was with her. And she put her arm around her and she said, this is the sweetest woman who has ever lived in this unit. My daughter, who is just like me, <laughs> shot those eyes over at me. She said, what have they done with my grandmother? <laughs> who is this woman right here? that nurse put her arms around my mother and said oh she is my sweet pea in this place let me tell you the people who wait on our elderly friends have tender mercy tender mercy It takes tender mercy. My mother is tender because that lady and others have been tender to her. Dear sweet friend, that's away from God. He's not going to stomp your brains out. He's not here to crush you. Jesus comes with tender mercy. And he pulls you to himself when you don't deserve it. And says, I will save you. And because that he is tender to you, he tenders you and leads you in the path of tenderness where you should go. Thank God for the tender mercy of the sunrise from on high. Amen. Zacharias watched that little boy and he said his name's not Zacharias. His name is John. And the name John means God is merciful. Amen. I have a second child. His name, we know him as is Bennett, named after my wife's father that I never knew, Dr. Claude Bennett, pediatrician. And so we took that last name and named our son. That's his middle name. But he has a first name, named after my grandfather, and it is the name John. My granddaddy was not a merciful man. He did not live up to his name for 65 years. He was tough. He was a businessman. He made bootleg whiskey. I know because I found it. 
down behind the house in a hiding pen and brought a gallon jug to him one day up to the house. He said, boy, where'd you find that? I said, I found it down there. He said, take it back where you got it. I'm going to kill you. As my merciful granddaddy. Mm. He is a baseball umpire. I've heard him say it a thousand times. It ain't nothing till I say it is. It's not out or safe. It's not fair or foul till I say it is. Hmm. But one night at New Bethel Church, somebody invited him to a meeting. And he came in that little church. It seats about as many as these pews here on the front. An old leather-lunged, uneducated gospel preacher preached the mercies of God. My granddaddy got out of that pew and walked to the front, asked Jesus to save him, and he met the tender mercies of the Most High God, and the sun came up in his soul, and God changed him forever. He made him what his name was. He made him John, merciful John. I went the next Sunday night and saw him baptized. I was a little teenage boy, about 13, 14. They baptized him. Big, robust man. A few years later, they ordained him as a deacon, about 70. I preached his funeral when he was 95. God used him for over 20 years as a merciful man of the gospel. You came to his house, you hear about Jesus. You ate at his table, you'd pray or not eat. He began to show the mercy. He didn't have it. No man has it in his own self, but God made him John. His daddy called him John, but his heavenly father made him John. Mercy came into his soul. Amen. The tender mercies of the Most High God, the sunrise from on high. Mm. I don't care who you are today. I don't care how mean you are, how tough you think you are. Let me tell you, Jesus can save you, and he will tender your heart. He'll make you merciful. He'll make you love people you used to spit on. Yes, he will. But you can't walk in unbelief. You you must walk by faith. That's what Granddaddy John did when he came by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is a gift of God. Don't get it by works. God tenders your heart and draws you. I don't know how all that works, but I know when you respond, God's tendered your heart and you say yes to him. And he makes you merciful. Merciful. Now, I'm still working on mercy. I know some of y'all. Some of y'all hadn't even started yet. 
time that we bowed down and said, Lord, make me like John. He said, who are you talking about? Well, ain't none of your business. I'll do the preaching. You do the listening. See, God tenders your soul, makes you merciful and more merciful and more merciful and more merciful. You'll start loving people you didn't even know that you could love. You'll be sharing a Christ with the lost and dying world. And God will raise up a church that's filled with faith to be the sender of mercy through this city. The tender mercies. Oh, the tender mercies. My God, we need the tender mercies of God. That, that we learn to love like Jesus loves. Amen. I don't mean you bow to anything, you believe anything, people do it. No, no, no. Mercy has a hard side sometimes, but it always reaches and draws and says, come. This morning, some of you need to come and Get on your knees like my granddaddy and ask God to save you. Some of you need to come join this church. Many people already have this morning, early service and out at the next step tables. But you need to come and do that. Some of you need to come and get ready to be baptized. And you need to come. Some just need to come fall in this altar as people did at 930 and kneel down here and say, Oh God, tender my heart, doing me what needs be done. Out of that balcony around. It'll take you a moment, but just go to these side stairs and come down. We'll greet you right here across this ground floor. Come today. We'll greet you. Maybe you're like that sweet girl need to be baptized. Come. We'll prepare and do just that. If you find yourself in the spirit of Zacharias in unbelief, come confessing and saying, Oh God, teach me how to believe again. Father, have your way. Thank you for your word. Lord, help people in the seat of unbelief to get up and go sit in the seat of belief. Help the people, Lord, that are enamored with self to get up and come to a Savior. Do your work in us. and Teach us like Zacharias how to believe so we can have our voice once again. Lord, I give you praise for what you have done and what you're about to do. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.